Welcome to the New Schools Podcast. So when Shannon and I first began comparing notes on people who inspire us, people out there creating incredible opportunities for young people, and who put out excellent content about this movement, Blake Bowles may have been the first name to which we both gave a resounding heck yeah. Blake helps young people discover self-directed learning and begin to take charge of their educations, careers, and lives. How does he do that? Well, in 2008, he founded Unschool Adventures, where big adventures for self-directed teenagers happen. Picture groups of teenagers traveling all over the world, New Zealand, Argentina, Spain, and of course, this is self-directed education, not the customary trip to Washington, D.C. that so many of us were subject to in public schools. These teenagers are planning much of the trip and their activities themselves. To learn more about that, go to unschooladventures.com. And to learn more about the whole self-directed education movement, check out Blake's podcast, Off Trail Learning, or his books. Blake is the author of The Art of Self-Directed Learning, Better Than College, College Without High School, and most recently, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? You've seen him in the New York Times, TEDx, BBC Travel, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal, and now on the New Schools Podcast with your host, Shannon Falkenstein, it's Blake Bowles. Hi, Blake Bowles. Thank you so much for being on the New Schools Podcast with us today. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're so excited to have you. Would you just tell us a little bit about your, like, your origin story? Like, how did you, how did you get into self-directed education? Sure. I grew up in California public schools, and I was a good student in the sense of being able to do everything that school asked of me and not have to struggle too much and get good grades in the process. And so I did not have any homeschooling or alternative schooling in my life. And I went straight to college and I thought I wanted to study astronomy and physics, mostly because I gravitated towards science in school. And I did read some science books on my own. And I was also good at math. And uh, what I later realized, and perhaps was the most influential factor in choosing to study astronomy and physics was uh, the movie Contact with Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster. She's an astrophysicist and does all this cool stuff with you know, building machines and communicating with extraterrestrials and having long discussions about science and religion with Matthew McConaughey, who's this dreamy reformed priest. I, I just assumed that was the life of every astrophysicist. So I went to the best college I could get into, which was Berkeley to study the most impressive sounding thing I could, which was astrophysics. And that lasted for about two years until I realized I did not want to be a, a researcher, a science researcher. I just, I met some graduate students and I was like, you, your life is not the life that I think I actually want. And so I thought maybe I could be a high school science teacher instead. And I uh, stumbled into a little elective class about education and we ended up reading John Taylor Gaddox and that was the beginning of the end for me at age 20 uh, and he opened the doorway 
for me to reading the Sudbury Valley School books, to reading Grace Llewellyn's Teenage Liberation Handbook, to reading Summerhill, uh, all the, the classics. And that very quickly uh, gave me the information that I needed to make my next decision, which was to, to leave the astrophysics major and to design my own major in essentially alternative education theory. So it was a super self-directed second half of college. I got to choose every class that went into this major. I just had to get my plan approved by two professors. And I wrote a really terrible senior thesis paper. And then I graduated with bachelor's degree, which I titled myself, and which is perhaps the least marketable degree ever issued by UC Berkeley. <laughs> What's the title of it? Alternative Schooling and Science Education. But the science education part was just a hack to like justify me having two years of science. So I didn't have to go back and redo four years. Uh, I didn't actually study like the pedagogy of, of teaching science or anything like that. Wow. And what year was this that you finished? Like how long have you been doing that? that? Was, yeah, that was the end of 2004. And, and at the beginning of 2005, I actually, my first job was working for Astro Camp in Southern California, which is an outdoor ed center where school groups from Los Angeles will come. And you teach them astronomy and you teach them physical sciences and you do ropes courses and take them hiking. And so it was actually quite perfect for me because I also, I also had a bit of a background uh, working at the wilderness summer camp in Northern California where I got to go for a number of summers as a kid. And so I essentially wanted to do summer camp year round and working in the outdoor education field let me do that. I could do summer camp during the summer and I can do outdoor ed in the spring and the fall. And that was pretty fun for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, good. So, and now, so you left astrophysics to be, to find much more life happiness and to do something that you were really passionate about. And do yeah. you like, do you feel good? Like, are you happy on a daily basis with what you're doing? Oh yeah. I, I've never regretted that decision. That's fantastic. And, you know, I, I really am using the knowledge that I started to gain and the skills that I started to develop in college. Like when people say, are you going to use that degree? I ended up getting one of the most, you know, weird, non-traditional liberal arts degrees that you can, but I, I definitely built the foundation for what I'm doing today. And so as someone who has written uh, books that criticize the, the default, you know, everyone should go to college pathway or the value of a four-year degree, I also have to admit that my four-year college experience, at least the second half of it, but I think the first half also, uh, was pretty darn valuable and important in my formation. That's great. I think that's a, that's a, a valuable message for people to hear. So um, just curious, like, how did you end up in Germany during the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> that is a longer story, and it it's more of a personal story having to do with uh, having fallen in love with a German woman some years oh. ago. And uh, that's, that's all I'll give you, Shannon. That's okay. how I ended up here. But I've really enjoyed my time here in Freiburg, Germany, which is in the Southwest. It's very close to the French and Swiss borders. It's a university town. Right across from me is the Black Forest. So trails that go on forever and ever are across the street. And so it's, this, it's been a nice place to spend some time um, in this interesting year. Yes, it is a very interesting year. So a lot of people assume that Europe is like very free with education. Um, 
or or uh, that who who assumes that? no no okay Americans <laughs> I met these people Americans okay. have some some um, mythology maybe or fantasy that like Europe is a an an ideal place for education yeah. and that you get a great education and that there's some first like a lot of choice I don't know why they think there's a lot of choice but can you tell <laughs> us more about self-directed education in Europe <laughs> maybe that that is coming from the Finnish school system yeah. which got famous and I think was profiled in some some documentaries and uh, also uh, got good they got good test scores on these international PISA rankings and but also they had a, a fairly progressive like humanistic approach to their public school so it might be Finland that deserves a lot of the credit whereas other countries like here in Germany or France or Switzerland, they have fairly mainstream and, and sometimes what feels to us Americans as, as maybe a bit retrograde systems of education because they track students so early, starting around age 10, you're put into one of three tracks, uh, essentially blue collar, uh, clerical, and then university track. And uh, there have been some there's been some reforms where they're trying to, to pull them all together. But um, yeah, that, that stereotype about super free public schools in Europe, I believe is quite unfounded. And I did meet a teacher who had taught in Finland in one of these mythical uh, public schools. And she said, actually the schools there are, are pretty great. You know, a lot of the stories are true. There's only one problem. They're all the same. Like they're literally just every school in Finland is like every other public school. There is no variety. And so even though we have, we seem to have like a pretty great model, um, it, it does not work for everyone. So there are still kids for whom our school model doesn't work and they don't have many other options or choices. So it is definitely not uh, a utopia of alternative school options out here. You'll, you'll find plenty of Montessori and Waldorf schools. Every once in a while you'll find some, democratic free schools, but uh, no, the U.S. is truly the place to be if you want alternatives in education. Nice. Yeah. Texas, for some reason, is a very, is a hotbed of, stu of student-directed education. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. They right. have a lot of, of, a lot of philosophy of freedom there. Um, so we have noticed a lot of people I talked to end up being in Texas. And of course, Acton Academy came out of Texas too. Um, so Parents, you know, were this, our podcast is really focused on families and educators who are feeling like you felt and like I felt, you know, like frustrated and limited by the current system and feeling that inner drive to do something else, but maybe feel stuck or afraid. Can you talk more about that? Like why, when you meet parents who are afraid and then you kind of go with them through this process, how... How is that for them? Are their fears founded or not? Um, and just, can you kind of talk more about that? Yeah, well, there's so many potential fears. I, I think the overarching one is the stepping off the conveyor belt to success fear. And I think that is mostly unfounded. Although if you are a parent who definitely wants your kid to get into an Ivy League college, then it is founded. That is definitely a threat. If you send your kid to some wild alternative school or you let them unschool, uh, 
it's, it's a threat because you are not cajoling them into the most rigorous college prep program at the most prestigious and well-credentialed private school that you can. And so you are indeed stepping off uh, the most reliable path to the most prestigious universities and theoretically then the most prestigious jobs available to your kid. And so for a certain type of parent with a certain uh, desire to, to vault their kid into the stratosphere, come hell or high water, then yes, it is a threat. But most of the families that I've worked with um, are not those parents. They are not the, the, the tiger moms. And instead, they are fairly normal, loving, middle-class, broadly speaking, uh, parents who just want their kids to not be miserable as often as they currently are miserable. And for those parents who would not feel devastated if their kid did not get into an Ivy League school, for whom the phrase community college is not a four-letter word, uh, who would genuinely be happy if their kid decided, after a lot of thinking and experimenting, to, be, to like open their own HVAC business. Like, it's those parents who I seem to have a, you know, a, a chance to, to communicate with and to say, listen, you, you really don't have to keep sending your kid to school. Like, there are so many great paths. There are so many alternatives within our ecosystem. And it's not just about uh, you know, going to an alternative school or choosing to homeschool. We have so many options in the United States uh, regarding how you can transition into college or career paths. That's something that a place like Germany, for example, does not uh, offer. If you want to go into college, you have to get a high school diploma. There is no if, and, or but around it. And that means you have to spend a few years, at least, of your K through 12 education preparing for these very rigorous, essentially, high school exit exams. And in the US, you can take the GED. You can go to community college starting at age 16 or perhaps even younger. Uh, you can do a state high school proficiency exam, like in California, the CHESP, the California High School Proficiency Exam. And uh, you can do dual enrollment through a local university. There are all these different options for essentially getting that equivalent of the high school degree. And sometimes you don't even need the equivalent of the high school degree, or you can do what a bunch of homeschooling families do. And you can just author your own high school, uh, unaccredited high school diploma. And that will work for a lot of first employers. And then once you have your foot in the door through a first employer, then you are on the, the career ladder. And it's much more about references and previous job experience than it is about you know, high school. Just no one cares about high school and a high school diploma once we get into the real world of work and once we get into the real world of college. It just falls off the map for most people and that should tell us a lot of what we need to know about the, the actual importance of, of secondary education. Thank you. I've heard also, and tell me, tell me where I'm wrong here. Um, someone was saying that um, they used a metaphor that you could take, they said that an admissions officer at, at like Harvard or an elite Ivy League school had said that they receive a stack so high of admission, you know, a theoretical stack of, of um, admissions applications that they could literally take them all, throw them down the stairs, and then pick like all of them on stair four and let them in. And that would be, the, that would be as um, 
like statistically significant as if they had combed through every single one of them and chosen them because all of the applicants are basically the same. They all have perfect SAT scores, perfect scholar athlete, top grades in school, the best um, service projects, like all that, right? Um, and then they said very optimistically that children who are alternatively schooled are in a smaller pile and they actually do need to comb through those and consider them. Do you, in your experience and knowledge, is that true? That's true. And that's true when I wrote my first book, College Without High School, uh, back in 2009. And that's true when I reviewed all of the college admission stuff for my most recent book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids? And I dedicated a whole chapter to that question of how they get into college and how they get into careers. And specifically, how homeschoolers, unschoolers, alternatively schooled students can get into the most rigorous and the most elite colleges. Because while I just said, yes, it's kind of a liability to step off this path, it has been done. And I feel like uh, to soothe the nerves of, of many parents who do feel like they don't want to close any doors for their kids, it is helpful to know what that process looks like. And I think actually the one of the best uh, authorities on this subject is someone who runs his own uh, learning community in Austin, Texas, uh, Antonio Bueller. He runs uh, a, a Brome, and he was uh, a Stanford recruiter for a while. And uh, he has written some wonderful articles, and he's helped me develop my own uh, you know, theories about this, um, explaining why really prestigious schools like Stanford or Harvard or Yale are giving special, I wouldn't say you're gonna get special priority. You're definitely not gonna get a break in terms of needing to have your academics still be very strong. But yes, like you said, you will get this special um, attention perhaps to your degree, excuse me, to your application if you show some measure of, of real intellectual curiosity. And if you can not look like everyone else in that tall stack, these, these cookie cutter, perfect students uh, who, as a recruiter, you must be able to just, you know, smell it. You look at that application and you're like, this kid was groomed starting at age three to, to end up here in this stack of papers. And then you run into some unschooler or some Acton, Acton Academy student or some kid who was in school for a while and then they world schooled and traveled for a bit and then decided to enroll in public school in France and then came back to the US and was in some dual enrollment program. You know, there's all of these, these uh, young people now who don't just choose one alternative path and stick with it for 12 years. They are mixing and matching and flowing back and forth in between all these different options. But while that's messy, it also makes you kind of interesting. And if you can prove that you do have the basic capacities to handle the, the academic coursework, and on top of that, you are saying, I am applying to Harvard because of X, Y, and Z, very genuine reasons, and, and you can show them that you studied stuff, you pursued stuff as a young person, not because your parents were cajoling you into it, not because it's what all of the, the ritzy prep schools in the year 2020 have decided is, is the best practice for launching a kid into the Ivy Leagues. No, it's, it's because you've been doing it for your own idiosyncratic reasons. Like that's powerful. 
And that's, that's difficult. Also, it's this, it's this form of authenticity. And, you know, I don't want to say, you know, be more authentic to sell yourself to, to top colleges. No, be more authentic because that's a meaningful way to go about your education. And if at the same time, while you're being authentic, you happen to develop some really serious academic interests, which will be furthered by going to a very competitive university, then by all means, apply to those competitive universities. And yes, you can get in, even if you don't have a high school diploma. Like, literally, I reviewed all this, this stuff for the, for the book. You don't need a high school diploma to get into any top private liberal arts college in the United States. They just don't care about it because it's dumb and it doesn't represent anything. They do care that you have demonstrated your academic background knowledge somehow, but you can do that better through going to community college classes or signing for MOOCs or you know, dropping in on local uh, university courses through your local you know, state university. There are all these other ways you can show that you're academically qualified. You still have to take the SAT or the ACT in most cases. You, know, you still need to prove that you can hang with the heavy hitters. But it can be done, it has been done. And even if your kid does not end up in, in that stratosphere, even if they just want to get into a pretty good college, like, yes, they can't do it. The, the barriers are not systemic and they are uh, totally manageable by families who just give a little bit of attention to the process. Wow, I love it, I love your message. I just recently read your book, um, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? And the overwhelming feeling that I got from it was one of relief that you, mm. you really, and I talked to Cassidy Youngins. You've she's met great. with Cassidy Youngins. Yeah, she's, huh? she, uh, she is so great. And she really remembers her conversation with you fondly. Uh, and so we were talking about how your message is so just relieving for people that they realize like they've been believing that they're in this prison all the time, but they could just like let go and walk out because there's really no walls. So that's like such a great message. And that people, parents don't have to be afraid if um, the traditional path is not the one that they're going to choose, that it doesn't ultimately bar them from getting into an amazing university. And most importantly, from having an incredible life. And having an incredible relationship with their kids. Yeah. You know, there's so much uh, destruction that, that the mechanics of school can wreck upon family relationships. It turns parents into homework cops. Yes. Uh, it, it, you know, poisons all of the otherwise casual discussion that might exist around a dinner table. And it's, I think that is the biggest benefit that seems to come out of, um, you know, for parents, especially when they decide to like, support their kid in pursuing some sort of alternative path to, to get on the same team because then together they are they are fighting against the uh inanity of conventional schooling and, and and instead of the parents trying to say yes it's really important that you perform well in this class because i don't know why but it's really important you know it's just it's a farce and when we can stop acting farcically then uh relationships improve I love that. Um, thank you so much. The, so earlier when we first got on, you were talking about school, like we've noticed in the pandemic that maybe the, one of the most important things that school provides is like a safe and nurturing and social place for children to go while parents work. So let's 
talk a little bit about how if you are a student who is going to choose a different path, where do you get that space from? What are some options that students have if they're going to be, if they're going to do unschooling, homeschooling, you know, just now there's a lot of different online options. Like Michael Strong has launched several online schools. You know, other people have those in the works. Galileo is doing great. So where, what are some options that kid that like, what are some suggestions you have for students? Specifically in the context of the pandemic? No, in general. No. All right. Well, there are two broad domains. There's the home-based domain and there's the school or center-based domain. Okay. And, uh, if you're home-based, then essentially you declare yourself to be a homeschooler in the state where you live. It's pretty easy um, and shockingly easy in some states like Texas or California where you just sign a piece of paperwork and then you can do whatever you want for the rest of the year. Uh, less so in some states like New York or Massachusetts where they have more oversight and more testing uh, requirements. But fundamentally, no matter where you are, you can do it. And then you have carte blanche. You can, you can do what you'd like. You can be super uh, conventional and follow a curriculum and work through it and try to pace it with what public school students are doing. Or you can swing the pendulum to the other side and you can be totally self-directed, be an unschooler, Go where your heart tells you to go. And uh, most families, in my experience, do something in the middle. And if you are a young person who is discovering uh, these options and you want to convince your skeptical parents that it might be a reasonable option, sometimes it's best not to start with saying, like, I want to be an unschooler so I can play video games all day long if I please. It's maybe better to start somewhere in the middle and say, uh, hey, mom, dad, what do you consider the most essential aspects of, uh, let's say, the secondary school experience? And I think a lot of parents, for example, are super concerned about math or learning a foreign language, maybe something specific like that. And if you can, as a young person, if you can identify what your parents' most pressing desires are for your education, and then you can parlay, you can, you can form an agreement and say, okay, how about become a homeschooler, I will continue to study math up to this level, and I will continue learning my Spanish, and for the rest of it, uh, you let me run the show. That can be a pretty good um, kind of opening bargain for negotiating something that's uh, home-based. And then for those who don't uh, want to just do something home-based, there is the world of alternative schools and self-directed learning centers, and um, you might find some public options, but they are few and far between, the ones that really give you a lot of freedom and flexibility. But depending on where you are, there might be some great charter school or hybrid options it's worth looking into. And sometimes you'll even get a couple thousand bucks a year to then support whatever educational thing you're doing. So it's worth looking into. But if you don't find something like that, then you're probably going to be looking for uh, private options, which might look like uh, small schools. Some of them might look more like, oh, I don't know, a YMCA, more like a club, for example. So um, I think that in the book, I described the spectrum 
of alternatives, starting with the, the classic progressive schools like Montessori or Waldorf, which are fairly well known and still fairly structured, going all the way down to schools that are more like Sudbury schools, which are a form of democratic free school where students really are allowed to go there and do nothing if they want. They can do everything or nothing, and most do something in between. And so you can go there, and as long as you don't, you know, you're not mean to people or you try to burn the place down, you can go there and you can just sit on the couch and read a book all day or play Minecraft all day or do nothing all day, and that is okay. No one will tell you that you're doing something wrong. And so you have to go searching. You know, if, if I told you right now what alternatives exist in your local area, you know, the, the answers might be totally different five years from now. And so you got to go seek out your, your little ecosystem and find out what the alternative schools are, what the public programs are, what the homeschooling community is like. Because sometimes there will be a place that has a lot of homeschoolers around your certain age, and you'll find a really wonderful like, kind of nurturing community. And other times, or you know, other times within even the same geography, that homeschooling community will not exist. And so it's very hard for me to make blanket recommendations about like, well, is it better to homeschool or unschool or to go to an alternative school? It really depends upon the time and the place and the opportunities available to, to that young person and that specific young person's personality and needs. And so, and also the, a, a family's budget, you know, the, the transportation situation, there's all these practical factors too. And so any venture into the world of alternative education begins with a research process. Uh, that both parents and young people should participate in and you go explore you go meet people you go knock on doors and and that is really what's going to inform uh, whatever we call the, the next right step okay thank you thank you so much so it's like everyone needs to go kind of on their their hero's journey of starting out on the road and just like it is a hero's journey by walking and figuring out yeah. what what is around, and if there isn't anything around, if someone's in kind of a a dead zone and or a zone that hasn't really done any of this yet, um, where what are maybe we could just like rattle off some options for kids who can do, for example, their academics online. You know, I think yeah. there's so many options now to do your academics online, but it's that socializing, you know, and then getting into teenage and there's more, you know, dating and and going yeah, out yeah. on camping trips and things like that. Like where, where, if you're in a community that doesn't have a lot of this, like, do you have any stories or, or um, experience with families who, where it's like, okay, I'm, I've thrown myself in this world. And now there's like, I'm looking around, there's no one here with me. Like, who is my child going to go out with on Friday night to the, yeah. movies, you know? Well, th this happens all the time actually. And it happens because a uh, family decides to take an alternative path when the kid is younger and then the kid grows up and the number of options almost always dwindles as a kid gets older. Um, there are lots, for example, if you want to find a, a primary school, an elementary school that is Montessori or Waldorf, it's not that hard to find that. Mm. Um, if you want to find a high school that's Montessori or Waldorf, much more difficult to find that. There are just many more um, options at the, I'd, I'd say K through eight level and they, they drop off in middle school, high school. And so I've worked mostly with teenagers. I'm very familiar with the challenge of, uh, of wanting to be around other people face to face uh, and 
yes, wanting to have social lives and not wanting to feel like you're this outcast because you're not part of the mainstream school system, whether public or private. And that need for community, that need for interpersonal connection is very important and should be taken seriously. One of the best places that I have encountered and I've gone back to many, many times is a summer camp called Not Back to School Camp, which was founded by Grace Llewellyn, who wrote the Teenage Liberation Handbook. And uh, I worked at Not Back to School Camp in 2006 for the first time, and then went back for 13 more seasons. And it is a wonderful place where teenage uh, homeschoolers, unschoolers, alternative school students come from all over the US and Canada, sometimes even farther afield, and they spend a week or two together. And it's, you know, like a free choice camp. There's a lot on offer and almost nothing that's required. And it's a place where these, these very strong connections and friendships are formed that are then sustained over the internet or by little, you know, groups of people, regional groups meeting up, you know, throughout the year. And so that has been a really powerful force. Uh, and, and I know there are a few other um, camps for homeschoolers out there. Uh, too, but not back to school campus, the one I'm most familiar with. And where is that located? Uh, they run sessions in Oregon and Vermont in the back to school time period. So August and September. Yeah. Wow, great. Yeah. So that's one example of things you can do. And you mentioned that there are online schools and programs and communities. Um, a few that, that ring my bells uh, are... Uh, the Clomara School has a, an off-campus program. They're, they're sort of the, the oldest program that has supported homeschoolers and unschoolers too. And you can be anywhere in the world and sign up with Clomara. And you, what a lot of families like about this is that they are able to extend their accreditation to uh, the homeschoolers who they work with. So you could be anywhere in the world enrolled in Clomara and you still get an accredited high school diploma at the end, even though you can be as self-directed as you want. And so um, they're a pretty cool organization. There are these startups, some of which you mentioned, like Galileo, which has been around for a few years now. There's a very new one called Prisma. Um, there's another one called Primer, which I'm, I, I'm not that familiar with. Um, these, at this moment, are all focusing more on the middle school age range. Um, uh-huh. And so there are still, there's still a dearth of options for a high school aged uh, people looking for for online options, but if you are 16, you do have a good option in the form of going to community college. Okay. And I know that's not for everyone, but uh, it it offers pretty great flexibility for a lot of young people who just want something that's a bit uh, more serious than the regular high school offering. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, Michael Strong's expanse online is high school. They've just oh, launched great. it this good year. To yes, yeah. I'm super excited about it. Could you spell clown? How, what was the name of that? Clown Lara. Yeah, C-L-O-N-A-R-A. No, C-L-O-N-C-L-O-N-L-A-R-A. Clown Lara. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. I'm sure many listeners will be interested in exploring that option. Have you heard of Synthesis School? I have not. So I... So do you know Ad Astra that was started for SpaceX families? Yes. And then that turned into Astronova, which was, uh uh-huh. So now I guess one of their, their most beloved classes was a class called Synthesis. 
and it was game-based learning, like team-based game learning. And now they've made it available online for children, I think from six to 14. So I heard about it on Instagram and I signed my kids up. They applied and they're doing it and they started it last night and it was really, really interesting. So it's just like one hour a week and, but it's, I don't understand it. And they were like, mom, get out of here. <laughs> I want to do our game, you know? But, uh, so I don't really know exactly what it is, but they really were super engaged in it and, uh, it well, seemed like a lot of fun. So. You if it's, if it's designed by SpaceX engineers and it's a game and it's only one hour a week, I mean, that sounds pretty ideal. That yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you're describing a micro school and there are a lot of micro school options out there, both in person and online. I, I am running a micro school for teenagers right now called Self-Directed Learning 101 that oh, only asks for three hours a week of, of the teenager's time over Zoom and then a few more hours for, for the week's assignment. And it's a 12-week course. I'm not sure if I'll even run it again. It might be a, a one-time thing, you know, pandemic special. Yeah, so yeah. We, we'll see. Because I really love working with teenagers face-to-face. -face. You know, for yeah. more than a decade, I've run my unschool adventures programs, taking groups of teens to international places for six weeks usually, or doing a, some sort of cool intensive leadership program in the U.S. where we rent out like a whole youth hostel for a while. And so... I definitely thrive on that camp type energy with, with groups of young people. And, um, and so online education for me doesn't feel like, I, I know that it's here to stay, but I don't think it's necessarily where I am meant to stay. So right. we'll see. So I think that's a great time to switch and talk about the, um, about the pandemic, like how, uh, when we, when we first started talking, I was asking you, thinking that you ha are, experiencing an increase in popularity because of the pandemic it's exerting such a pressure on families about school and you said surprisingly no so tell us more about that <laughs> well I, I had a number of people at the beginning of the pandemic say oh this is going to be really good for your business because everyone's going to be looking into alternatives now I don't think that's quite right I think that a lot of families have been forced into uncomfortable situations um, that they would, they would like to escape from. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden there are a lot of families who are questioning the, the logic of conventional education, you know, the, the conveyor belt, so to speak. I don't think that, that just because there's, there's a virus out there, people are thinking fundamentally differently about education. Their lives have been disrupted by the fact that sometimes they can't go to work and then their kids have to stay home and they need supervision. And so the childcare function of school has been disrupted. But I think it, in my gut, I, I really feel that, that once this is really over, most families just want everything to go back to normal. They, most families just have this practical need to send their kids somewhere where they know they're gonna be safe and hopefully maybe they'll learn something useful at some point. Uh, and, and that is the, the devil's bargain that we have, we have struck nowadays. And I do think that there will be some number of families who have, have seen what their kids are up to uh, with more of a magnifying glass now that they've gotten the peek into the kids' uh, online classes. And of course, you know, we can't judge a normal class by its online version. And my, my heart goes out there for teachers who have had to to suddenly pivot into this online world and, and deal with everything that comes with that. And so 
I don't expect perfection there for sure. But still, at the same time, as a parent, you might say, oh, this is what you're learning in school? And your kid says, yeah, this is normal. And you're like, oh. It's so easy for a parent to just consider that your kid has a job, kind of like you have a job. And your kid goes off to that job. And it doesn't really matter what happens there, as long as your kid doesn't come back traumatized or you know, something else horrible happens. And so I think this is a chance for people to kind of peer into each other's jobs. And uh, maybe if more kids got a chance to peer into adult jobs and say, oh, this is what I'm being prepared for. This is, this is the life that awaits me. Maybe they would think a little bit differently too. So there will be some families out there who have, uh, who have seen what school is really like and they are now thinking, okay, I need to give my kids something better than this. I'm just not sure how many of those families there are. Right, right. I see your point, definitely. Um, I'm curious if children and students, now that they have sort of, now they've been at a distance from school, many are maybe experiencing more freedom because just simply the, the dynamic, like you can check out much more easily and kind of do what you want to do pretend like you're in the Zoom, pretend like you're checked in, but you're really like playing Minecraft in the background, you're on Discord or whatever, you know, um, that I wonder if this will change children so that when they go back into the school environment, they're less willing to be sort of um, mm. coerced into doing things that they don't want to do or... I don't yeah, know. That's an it's, interesting it's, like, it's like a gigantic experiment. So we're going to see it, it is. what is happens. A, a big natural experiment and we can theorize, but you know, I hadn't thought about quite that aspect of it, Shannon, that, that even though kids are highly constrained right now, you know, they have to be home, have to be in front of these computers or tablets for a long time. Yes. There might be these, these degrees of freedom that they are now getting used to and enjoying. And when, you know, I'm, I'm sure most kids will be really happy to just have face-to-face -face interactions. Again, yeah. that will be a huge draw. But after that initial euphoria wears off, how many of them are going to be like, oh, this package deal comes with this wasteful, coercive machinery of, of the classroom education also. Is this worth it? And yeah, maybe that, maybe that will be a driver of, of novel uh, innovations in schools also, ones that, that preserve the important face-to-face -face aspect while discarding some of the most uh, egregious machinery of schooling. And even teachers. I think when you disrupt people's habitual patterns for a long enough time, it's hard to bounce back into that again, you know? Um, so maybe there will be some like questioning, like why exactly do we do this for 45 minutes and then do that? Like maybe we can switch this up a little bit. So it could be something that, that refreshes. Mm -hmm. So if you, I, I love to ask guests always this because I find that sometimes it's hard for mainstream parents to wrap their heads around or educator people to understand like the alternative, so I like to use metaphor. Um, what would, if you could create a metaphor that compares kind of the traditional system to self-directed education, what metaphor would that be? Ah, easy one. It's employment and self-employment. Oh. And uh, my friend Ken Danford, who runs North Star, which is this really cool model of uh, self-directed learning center for teenagers, 
uh, he likes to say, you know, some kids, when they become self-directed learners, they panic and they say, oh, can I have my 40 hour a week job back, please? And there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, school is a lot like traditional employment to ah, others. Is that really so surprising? Uh, you are told what to do. You are given this pr fairly rigid structure, uh, you know, traditional metrics and deadlines and uh, hierarchy. And in one way, that can be frustrating, but in another way, it takes a lot of the burden off you. It, it takes this, this responsibility away. And if you are frustrated with something or you mess up, you can blame a teacher, you can blame the school system. And when you're a self-employed person, there is no one to blame. You know, you, you have to look in the mirror. And, uh, you know, you do enjoy this increased level of freedom and autonomy, uh, but you also have to, to take the responsibility and sometimes the, the anxiety that comes with self-employment also. And so that's what being a self-directed learner is like. It's a lot like working for yourself. It, that's why it's not for everyone also. Yeah. That's an excellent analogy. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so if let's pretend that you, do you have children? I do not. Okay. So let's say that you have children all of a sudden, like what would be your, poof. yeah, poof, you have kids <laughs> and they're like six, you know, and you're about to put them into, um, you know, first grade, like what would kind of in your mind right now, you're not committing, but what would be like your ideal trajectory for them? knowing everything that you know and all the experiences you've had that include going to an elite university in a STEM field, you know, like what, what would you do? Well, uh, I like to, to be annoying when I answer this question because <laughs> honestly it depends on these kids yeah. and I have not yet met these kids. And so it would depend on my knowledge of who they are and what our relationship is, what I think they're capable of, what I think would be too much for them. And so I, of course, have my own personal idiosyncratic dreams about what the coolest form of, of education might be. So, for example, the idea of traveling abroad with children, living abroad with children, that is, is deeply appealing to me and not just so that they can you know, soak up a foreign language effortlessly, um, but so that they can have these, you know, yeah, very different experiences. And I got a little taste of those kinds of experiences uh, when I was starting at age 14. And I felt that those were very important for me. And so, of course, I would love to extend that opportunity or the opportunity to, to travel with a family uh, to my own kids, but it depends on who they are and really if the kid hates traveling you know if I'm gonna be dragging some some screaming kid uh, or you know a, a kid is, is made to be depressed because they're in this foreign country and it's just not working out for them then then no then I'll do something else and in the same way I'd love to say yeah I would definitely unschool my kids but uh, it does depend to a certain degree on the kids personality and it does depend on the local community. And if I could be in a place where there is a rich set of resources and opportunities and peers for my kid to be an unschooler, then great. And, and the kids into it also, wonderful. Like all, all trains ahead. But, but I could also see 
uh, a conventional public school perhaps being the best fit, at least for a while, for my kid, despite all of my, my hopes and dreams and baggage regarding the conventional school system. Yeah, got it. Okay, I love it. I like your answer. So Blake Bowles, like, I'll, we're going to give all the links and everything below so that they can find your books and, and your podcast and people can learn much more about you and the things that you talked about today. But if our audience wanted to just go right now to find the most important link to you, where should they go? BlakeBowles.com. B-O-L-E-S. Okay. That's easy. Okay. BlakeBowles.com. Well, it has been amazing talking to you today. I think parents will really feel relieved and excited about all of the options for their kids. Thank you so very much. Thank you for the opportunity, Shannon. And thank you to the audience for stopping by. Thanks for listening to the New Schools Podcast. Tell a friend. Previous episodes and show notes, including any books or websites our guests recommend, can be found at thenewschools.com. If you're a parent who is looking for a new school for your family, send us a message. We would love to help. We can answer questions, share the resources we have, and help you get in touch with people in your area who are on the same path, determined to provide their kids with the best education. It's wildly important work. Thank you for doing it. And we'll see you next time.